Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! So let's back up. I would say back in like the fall, like September, October area, um, Kyle's like starting to like lay out. He's like trying to think through like, okay, we're going through these series. What are we going to do for the year? How do we do this moving forward? And he says, hey, I was thinking maybe we would do Genesis. I'm like, that sounds awesome. There's a lot of like really hard passages, a lot of really good passages. But dude, good luck on the Nephilim. And him and I laugh and laugh. We have a good old time. And we keep, I keep ribbing him on it. We go back and forth for a while. Fast forward to the spring. And he's like, hey, we kind of got that like locked in. We're going to be doing um, Genesis. I said, man, I cannot wait to hear your lesson on the Nephilim. And we laugh and we laugh and we laugh. So... Uh, today, go ahead and turn to Genesis 6, where we're going to start to talk about the Nephilim. Um, <laughs> this is a passage that's hard on a few fronts. So the reason, and knowing that's going into it, one of the reasons it's really hard is because there's a lot of biblical detective work that has to be done. Uh, you guys better buckle up. We need to get our um, our mental, like, uh, cork board, the yarn, the tins, because we're doing detective work. We're putting things together and trying to understand it from a big picture. Genesis 6, 1-4 is tricky. There's some stuff in there. You've heard the story of Noah. Most people know the story of Noah. In fact, when we did our uh, interviews with the kids, we asked them, like, what stories do you know from Genesis? They all knew Noah. But most people have never heard this passage before. Because it's strange. It's out there. And it's, it's right in between two big sections. But it's important. And if we can understand this, God has lost faith with so, before we dive in, before we read that first section, I want to take a second to pray because I want to hear what God has to say on us. So, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the time that we get to spend together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Uh, a passage that is so strange and so loaded with things that we did not expect to see right before we talk about Noah, point straight to your son, to the plan that you had in mind, to the restoration of all mankind. And so I pray that while we're in the weeds and studying this and doing detective work, and we don't miss what you're trying to say to us. Because you know. So here's the bottom line. Here's most of what I want you to walk out of here with. I say most of because we're going to addend it a little bit at the end. Sin always kills always. Sin is deadly. And if you think anything less, you've missed what sin is. So we look at this parallel to Genesis 2 and 3. And in Genesis 2 and 3, Eve interacts with the serpent. She tempted. And she takes part of the fruit. There's a parallel because we're seeing a cycle repeat. We've introduced this back when we were studying in um, Eve and the serpent. It's see, want, take. This is the second instance of that cycle. But I would add on to it. While see, want, take, you, uh, she, she saw that the fruit looked good, she desired it for herself, and then she took it. I would add on a fourth in this cycle. This is see, want, take, die. Because in this particular case, what we're about to read, uh, we see that they went through the same cycle, and it resulted in death. 
So, let's read James 1, 13 and 15 before we dive in. This is where we see the uh, summary, the New Testament version of that see, want, take, die. So it reads, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and He Himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn and enticed by his own desires, see, and want. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, to take. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. We can use this dramatic language because we need to be taking sin really seriously. So, as we're diving into this, just sit back and like let this wash over you because it's some weird stuff that we want to make sure we're going slowly through. So, in Genesis 1, or sorry, Genesis 6, 1 through 4 begins with, when mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them. The passage right before this was two different genealogies. Um, Adam and Eve had three kids. They had Cain, Abel, and Seth. So Cain killed Abel, and Seth was their gift to return. They had other kids for sure, but it follows the line of Cain and of Seth. And so last week we heard the genealogy of Cain, and in chapter 5 is the genealogy of Seth, which, by the way, Kyle, you could have given me that. Um, <laughs> and so with that, um, coming right off of that and then going into the flood, this is kind of a weird in-between. This is very important, though, because it switches the story of the family of Adam to the family of Noah. And so this is that passage that leads us in between. So, after the genealogies, mankind multiplied on the earth and daughters were born to them. This is the part that we're going to struggle with. The sons of God, who we'll try to identify, saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. If that's just men marrying women, this next part makes no sense. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. Then, the Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterwards, when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. Uh, really a strange passage because we're not given quite enough context to know for sure what's going on. But, like I said, we got to put on our detective hats, we got to piece things together, and we have to try to understand the identity of really what we're looking at is the sons of God. Because when we can identify them, we'll know why was the world so corrupt? Why was all mankind corrupt? And maybe we can see who are these Nephilim. So I want to propose the three major views. This isn't really my style to go way, 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 way into this stuff, but I think it's really important for us to be able to understand this. There are three different perspectives, but I really, I think one's correct, but the reality is there's not enough information for us to say 1,000%, I can lock it in, I know the correct answer. If you think you're there, I would really encourage you to reconsider. The other view of this is we can disagree. When I go through this, if you are like, Tim, I can't even see what you're talking about, it makes no sense to me. That's also okay. You can believe something different about the sons of God and the Nephilim, and we can still be brothers and sisters of faith. We can, in fact, be pretty well aligned on theology, aside from this point. But, understanding what is God trying to tell us today, 
requires that we at least explore it. So I want to go through the three views. Now, the three views are that the sons of God are men from the line of Seth. We just come off of Seth's genealogy, and the suggestion is that the sons of God were them. Another one is that the sons of God are these ancient rulers. This one can be a little tough for us to understand today, but we're going to get into that, and it will hopefully make a little more sense why that one exists. And then the third one is spiritual beings. Spiritual beings is broad, but we're going to start to refine that a little bit, so hopefully we can get a little more clarity off of that. So with that, I want to go to the first view. It's in like theology circles. It's known as the Sethite view, Seth's kids. This is the view when I was in seminary, that they were like, hey, this is actually what we believe, and you should feel like, dude, totally, I get it. And so I bought in. And then as I'm starting to do this studying, I'm really like, man, I don't think that makes sense at all. So let me walk you through some of the basics. I was not like a good student in seminary, but I'm getting better. That's cards on the table. <laughs> um, so with the Sethite view, this is something that's considered the traditional view. So if you're in like Baptist circles, oftentimes most of them will land here. I tend to disagree because it doesn't make a ton of sense. But the idea is that the sons of God were the line of Seth, and they intermarried with the line of Cain. Uh, I do have a few problems with this. Uh, first off, the line of Seth got wiped out. So, like, when the flood came, he had his he had Noah and Noah's family, but everyone else was gone. And so, it couldn't be this entirely righteous line. The suggestion would be when you go through those genealogies that the good people, God's people, Seth, bad people, Cain. Maybe there's one person in Cain's line that is clearly um, not a great guy. It's Lamech. And he'll come up with the rulers view as well. But he uh, chose two wives, and he also uh, committed murder. And almost like antagonizing God, wishes that he would have even more wrath than Cain had. And so this guy is a total fool. But the rest of the line, there's nothing else really said. Then you look at uh, Seth's line, and there were some notable righteous figures but it wasn't that the entire line was made perfect. The big one was Noah, that Noah came from the line of Seth, and that is really important, but that also doesn't necessarily um, like explain why that the crime would be intermarrying lines. We talked last week, if you were here, you're going to be like, cool, if you're not, you're going to get a little grossed out for a second. But we have to ask the question, what actually happened? Like, God made Adam and Eve. We're cool with that. They had kids. We're cool with that. Their kids had kids. And so they were what we would today call like ancestral relationships. Back then, that there was no stigma attached to that. That wasn't condemned. They had perfect genetic material because they were just created. And so there weren't mutations that would multiply. And so while it's something that's like so gross right now, back then it would have been normal. But we got to take a step back because they had they had Cain and they had Seth, and there was obviously intermarrying. But why would those two lines be forbidden without actually saying it? So it just, it's all the pieces seem a little bit odd for that to have been a crime. It doesn't make it impossible. That's why this view still exists. But it makes it really, really hard for me to wrap my head around. If you land in this camp, we're cool. We're still going to get to the same destination. But I want to make sure that uh, you understand that this exists uh, before moving on. So the next view we have is the ruler's view. This would be that some sort of ancient rulers uh, were intermarrying whatever would have been the daughters of mankind. Uh, the daughters of mankind doesn't really appear much in scripture, and so it's not like a thing. It's not like an idiom where we're like, oh, okay. However, sons of God is. 
it's used in, in a couple different ways. For this view, it would lean on the idiom that sons of God means rulers. At the time of these events, time of the flood, this would have been a phrase that was used, but by the time the events were written down, after oral tradition, they would have used that term. It would have been something that would have been viable. Uh, when they talk about sons of God, it's an idiom that we don't understand because we're not in that context. For example, today we have going viral. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about. If I told you I'm going viral, no one's going to be like spraying me with Lysol. However, 20, 30 years ago, people would have been freaking out. Well, the other side of that was I had to look this one up because I was just like, was curious if there's like idioms that we don't use anymore. So many a mickle makes a muckle. Uh, does anyone know what that means? I've asked in both services, no one knows. It has to do with pinching pennies. So I guess a mickle is like a penny and a muckle is a bunch of pennies. Um, that's a phrase that we have no clue what that means. That idiom doesn't exist for us. But it did back then, and it would have made sense. So the sons of God is the same. It's not something where they're claiming that those rulers were divine. Today, if we heard Biden say, hey, I'm the son of God, people would be losing it because it's blasphemy. It's not an idiom that continues on today. But back then, if someone had recognized that, it would have been a recognition of the authority of God. And so we do need to understand that, that while that we can't necessarily understand it in our context, that it is something that would have been viable. In fact, we even look at some of the kings of Israel, King David and King Solomon, in 2 Samuel, Samuel 7, 14, and 1 Chronicles 28, 6. They were called sons of God. And so does that mean that they were divine? No. It means that they were rulers given authority by God. And so... That is one of the pieces that kind of gives it a little bit of credence. However, the question remains, what is the sin here? Because something happened when the sons of God married the daughters of mankind that made the entire world corrupt. So there's one of two possibilities of this view, and neither of them are great. Like, they don't really seem to make sense. So the first one would be polygamy, if they had married multiple wives. Uh, the reason this view doesn't make a ton of sense is because, like I mentioned earlier, Lamech uh, married multiple women. The Bible didn't say, hey, where did go Lamech? Uh, but it also didn't condemn it. At this point, polygamy wasn't necessarily outlawed. The other side of this is polygamy continued. So whatever sin happened resulted in Nephilim. And yet when we see polygamy later in the Old Testament, we don't see Nephilim born of it. So there are some issues with that. Um, the other side of this would be sexual promiscuity, that they were stepping outside of the marriage bounds. The problem with this is when it describes that they took wives. Wives is the correct word. That the inflected is nasim, which comes from the root word isha. That word can be translated as female, but only in the context of mated pairs and animals. So if it's referring to a female animal, this isha or whatever inflection it is, can describe just females in general. However, if it's ever talking about humans, it's wives. And so for this, they really, it was marriage. It wasn't just stepping outside of marriage bounds. It was getting married. So it could have been one of those two, but yet we see those things happening and the Nephilim don't result of that. Um, there is one thing I wanted to point out that is a benefit to this view, something that helps make understanding Genesis a little bit cleaner. We're in a phase where we're starting to see sin taking over humanity and, and humanity getting corrupted. So this is kind of like a pinnacle. Well, what it starts with was individuals. So we had Adam and Eve, 
who sinned. After that, their family was infected by sin because Cain killed Abel. Later, if this is the view that's to be believed, this ruler's view would say that society's leaders became infected with sin until everyone, and it fully widespread and got wiped up on the flood. Uh, that's fair, but that view can also be held uh, with the view that I'm going to posit is probably the best one, and that's the spiritual beings. Um, so as we're looking at this last view, the spiritual beings, there's a couple of reasons I favor this one. I would say the biggest one is it requires the fewest assumptions. Another way to say that is the simplest. So these other ones were like, well, you know, if you assume this, this, and this, then, well, then this all makes sense. And maybe, but this one doesn't really require any assumptions. So when we talk about sons of God being spiritual beings, that's a phrase that's used in Scripture most commonly, almost exclusively, for angels. So, for example, in Job, the exact phrase that's used here is used three times. So in Job 1, 6, 2, 1, and 38, 7, it is referring to angels. For example, in Job 1 and 2, if you're familiar with the story, the devil goes to God and proposes that the reason his follower Job is so faithful is because of all the blessings. Well, when he approaches God, it's in heaven, and it says it's surrounded by the sons of God, the same term. And so that identity is clearly spiritual beings, angels. So then, when we look at this one, it's not necessarily open and shut. Remember, we're putting together our murder board with all the yarn and the tacks. And we're trying to understand this as a whole picture. This does give us a little bit of a piece, but it's not open and shut. Like, it's not like the other views are like, you can't believe those because of this. Finding only in one uh, book of the Bible, it would be nice and helpful if we could see that word used more often. But this does certainly lend towards it. Um, another thing to consider was, and this is going to hopefully give us some clarity on who these spiritual beings would be, in Mark 12:25, it does seem to allude to the idea that um, angels cannot marry. Now, if they can't, well, if they're fallen angels, why can't they? And so likely, when we're talking about these spiritual beings, we're not just talking about good angels doing bad stuff. We're talking about those that fell with Satan. Uh, one of the things that really, for me, shows the most impact of this is that parallelism that we talked about earlier. The see-want-take cycle repeats, and I think it's really significant. So Dr. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, we use their videos from time to time. He's the one that does like the animations and stuff. He's awesome. But he said this about this passage. He said, instead of the woman taking what was good in her own eyes due to the deception of a spiritual being, in Genesis 6, it is rebel spiritual beings take women who are good in their eyes. And so you see this little bit of a reversal, but it's really in line with each other. And so for me, it almost seems to reinforce that spiritual beings. Now, here's the truth. If we disagree, I'm okay with that. Because at the end of the day, sin kills always. And that needs to be the truth. No matter which view you take, humanity was corrupt and resulted in the flood to wipe out that corruption. There is this piece, though, that we haven't actually talked about. The big, the big assignment is Nephilim. So now we got to kind of look at them a little bit further. If you look at um, Genesis 6, uh, 4, that end of our little section, it says that there were Nephilim on the earth in those days and afterwards. So when we're looking at kind of what was going on, so any that were born in those times were wiped out by the flood. However... They continued afterwards due to a second occurrence. So whatever happened then has happened again. 
So this is where we start to do a little bit of work. There's like a half a million verses we could use. Like I was like filtering through some of them that are maybe closely related, but there are a couple that were like, okay, we can follow these. So I'm going to just point out a couple. If you do study on your own, you may find that there's more that connects and it may change the way you think about this, but this for me is kind of talking about what the Nephilim looked like after the fact. So the Nephilim are mentioned one other time, twice in one verse, uh, in the entire Old Testament. So the Nephilim are mentioned in Numbers 13.33. In that passage, we see um, Joshua and Caleb are scouting out the promised land Canaan with the other ten unbelieving spies. They go, they scope it out, and they say that there are giants in the land. Well, they specifically say they saw Nephilim, sons of Anak. We don't know who Anak is, but we know that he's associated with the Nephilim. So then these men are giants, these sons of Anak. Well, we don't see Nephilim again. We see Anakites, these people that have come from Anak. And so then we move forward into Joshua 11, 22 to 23. In that passage, it records that Joshua had wiped out all the Anakites from Israelite territory. So they had claimed their promised land from the Anakites. Now, those Anakites only remained in three areas. Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. So that's twice, both first service and second. They got it. Uh, does anyone know the famous person coming from Gath? Next slide. Enter Goliath, who came from Gath. Was that you over there? You got that? My man. That's a bonus point. You got all the bonus points. Congratulations. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, it's not said, it doesn't say Goliath was an Ephraim. It doesn't say that. However, due to this context, due to following this flow, I believe it's very, very likely that he was. He was a giant. He stood tall. The giants were recorded in numbers as um, the Nephilim. And so it is seemed likely that he was a continuation of this, but it still leaves us with that question, where did the Nephilim come from? I believe it's the spiritual beings, but if you disagree, that's okay. They came from a violation of the boundaries God had in place. They came from sin. So as we're starting to um, kind of, we, we, we have this big picture. We've just studied a ton and we've created our murder board. And wherever you land with that is okay. What we really need to understand is what it means for us today. How do we apply this to our living? The, the thing I'm going to keep repeating is sin always kills always. Sin has to be big. If we think small of sin, we'll ultimately think small of God. And we'll get there. So this was the moment, because we're going to end up finishing our passage in Genesis. We only have read about half of it. This is the moment where this is the straw that broke the camel's back. This is the sin that has fully violated and fully permeated and fully corrupted humanity. So let's go ahead and read the second half of this. This is going to be in Genesis 6, 5 through 8. It says, When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and, and this is the descriptor that just nails it, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and was deeply grieved. Not angry, not wrathful, not casting judgment, but grieved. Then the Lord said, I'll wipe out mankind whom I created off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds in the sky. For I regret that I made them. And this is where we can finally, like, rest. Like, we've had a pretty heavy downward, like, sin, 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 death, death, death. This is where we get our, our hope. Noah found favor with the Lord. This is God's grace acting then. But that's not even the full picture. So, while sin always kills always, 
we have a New Testament example of someone who lives that. So we're going to read in Luke 22 about Peter. The devil wants to use his deadliest weapon to kill us, and he's using sin. So in Luke 22, says to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. My uh, uh, Greek professor, he always said that this word you here, the way it's used, uh, is best translated, if you're in the South, you would say y'all. Uh, if you're in the North, it's you guys. But if you're in New York, it'd be you guys. Because it's plural. He's talking to the group. And so then he says, but I have prayed for you. This is singular. This is he's prayed for Peter. Uh, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told him, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And if you're familiar with the story of Peter, he was not ready. So he says, I tell you, Peter, he said, the, crow, the rooster will not crow until today until you deny me three times. And he does. Now, while that was true, that um, Peter had betrayed him, what was also true was earlier, he says, uh, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. He wrote two letters to Christians scattered across the world. And so, the one I really want to point out is he has an opportunity to speak from personal experience. This is in First Peter 5, 8, and 9. He writes, Be sober-minded and be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can develop. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Why does he get to talk in such dramatic language? Why does he get to say something so crazy like, the devil prowling around like a roaring lion trying to kill you. Because he's firsthand experienced it. Because he saw the weight of sin. He saw his sin get him. But yet, he saw the promise of Christ even greater. So while sin always kills always, that fatalistic, determined message, it loses its edge because of the power of grace being so much more impossible. Because if sin is something that we could have beat, we would have. But it took the power of God in Jesus Christ to save us. He forgave us our sins and set us free from them. So, there are three types of people uh, that I want to talk to. The, the first group is going to be people who have held on to a sin. You have chosen to follow Jesus. And yet you've got your pet sin that you hold on to. Something that you say, you would describe it as, well, it's not that bad because at least it's not that sin. Or at least I'm not bad as that person. Or we, we find ways to self-justify that our sins are actually okay. Or God understands that we're like really, really trying and we mean well or whatever. The truth is, sin always kills. It's not going to steal you from the work that Jesus has done. It's not going to remove you from his family. But it is going to have its effect. And if you let that sin linger, it's going to mess you up. There are people here who can probably testify to that. So there's a second group. And before we talk to them, I want to read Romans 5, 20 to 21. It says, The law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. And as great as sin was in those days, even greater was God's grace. So that... Just as sin reigned in death, so also 
grace will reign throughout righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the, the amazing thing that happened was while he saved Noah, he preserved humanity through Noah. Noah led to Abram, Isaac, Jacob, who led to David, who led to Jesus, who redeemed all of humanity. So not only was he able to cut out the corruption, save mankind through one family, but through that same family, the line traces down, and the plan of salvation was fulfilled. So the second group, uh, you are haunted by some sort of sin in your past. There's something that you hang on to that you fight tooth and nail, and you hate that sin. You hate that it exists in your life. You know that God wants better for you, and yet you don't seem to be able to find freedom. Uh, or it haunts you because it's something you've done that you can't forgive yourself for. You don't need to hear the power of sin. You need to hear the power of grace. You've been forgiven. If you've chosen to accept Jesus as your Savior, He set you free. Galatians 5.1, for freedom you've been set free. And so maybe you need to hear that message instead, because as powerful as sin is, and as much as it leads to death, so much greater is the power of grace that God was able to forgive you from your sins. Now the third group, and there's that group that doesn't fully understand what we're talking about. You haven't seen it personally. Maybe, maybe you've seen the destructive power of sin. Maybe you've experienced that sin does kill, and you can testify to that, but maybe you don't know grace yet. Maybe you've not accepted Christ as your Savior. And so today I'm going to invite you, accept Him today. Talk to someone who surrounds you. You have an opportunity. I, I don't know, like, everyone in this room, but if you find someone, it's probably good enough. Or they can find someone who knows. And so just talk to someone about, if you need Jesus, today's your day. Uh, with that said, I do want to close the word of prayer. But don't forget this. While sin always kills always, the power of grace is so impossible that it is even better than that sin. You can save humanity from the brink of corruption and then redeem it through Christ. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for these weird passages that still point to Jesus. Jesus did something impossible on the cross. He came and paid the price that we could never pay. Sin wanted to kill us, and yet you want to give us life. So I pray that wherever we're at, God, you continue to speak your word into us, continue to lift us up, continue to encourage us, and make us more like you. Uh, for any in this room who have not accepted you, God, please tug on their hearts today that they can be set free by your grace, that sin doesn't have to kill them anymore. Father, we pray this on your name. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Claybog Church. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.